sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, greetings in the precious name of Jesus. It's been good to be here in the house of the Lord. To be reminded of what it means to worship the Lord. The message I'd like to speak on this morning is just entitled, In Hope of Eternal Life. If you would turn with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This passage here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16, says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. It was a bit of a, a uh, I don't know what you say, a challenge or difficulty in my mind to think about what to preach on this morning, particularly as I think of our uh, dear brother who passed on to his reward. And so my mind went to some of these passages, and that's what I... Uh, settled on to speak about nothing new but something that should be renewed in our mind. As it says that uh, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. And why is that? Because uh, men will lay to heart the things that are important. And that's what I'd like for us to think about this morning, the things that are important. It says here that our Lord Jesus Christ, so this is through Christ, He hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts. So as I'm thinking about uh, a brother passing and the need for comfort, 
in our own hearts, the hearts of the family, and so on. I also had to reflect on what this passage is really saying, is for those who are still alive and have hope of eternal life. And that our brother clearly had. He had a hope of eternal life. And as you think of all the difficulties that our brother went through, particularly physically, and as we had said many times, he's living on borrowed time. And he was quick to admit that, that uh, in all the physical afflictions that he had suffered through much of his life, to a greater or lesser extent, and more so as the years went by, He was grateful that God still gave him life, but he also looked forward to that time when he would go to be with the Lord. And the Lord has seen fit to call him home. And I think it's just uh, good for us to reflect on that hope of eternal life. To tie in a bit with the earlier message, uh, Brendan read that passage there in Psalm uh, 20, was it 24? I could turn to that here just to. In Psalm 24, it asks the question, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Well, as we were over in Jerusalem in early April, we saw the hill of the Lord. It is actually a place. There was a specific place where it was known to be the hill of the Lord. And why was that? It's because that's where God chose for his dwelling place and his temple to be built. It was on Mount Moriah, and God had special attention to that place back when he called Abraham to offer up his only son. That took place on Mount Moriah. And then, so many years later, that's where the temple was built, and it was called the Hill of the Lord. And with David writing this, it would have been before the temple was actually built. But there was a place of worship, and it had, you know, through the tabernacle, they went through the wilderness, the tabernacle was where the Lord dwelt, And so there was maybe various places as the tabernacle moved around, but then ultimately there was a house built, a temple, on Mount Moriah, and it could truly be called the Hill of the Lord, because that's where God showed His presence. As you stand and look at that spot and just ponder that reality that here was a place where God was. 
okay? The very God of heaven that created all the things that we see, created the heavens and the earth, he chose to come to this place. Now, you don't visibly see the presence of God there. That only came for a brief time when the temple was first built and dedicated. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. And yes, there were other places in the earth. For example, Sinai was also a place where God came and showed himself. And it's spoken of as an event that was unlike any other prior to it. So now here we have David saying this, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Now if you heard that God showed up somewhere, wouldn't you want to go and see that's maybe part of the draw for visiting the Temple Mount is because you know that God did show up there. Now we also know much more. We know that in the revelation of time and that God sent His Son and it's in His Son that we have life. It's in His Son that we have hope of eternal life. And we'll perhaps look at this passage in John chapter 4 a bit later. But about worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's not just in this mountain, but the reality is that in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament dispensation, they would have been very much of the mind that God is at a specific place. And even this lady who was uh, talking about the controversy, the Samaritans said that it could be and Mount Gerizim here, this could be the Mount of the Lord. But the Jews said, no, it's in Jerusalem. It's on Mount Moriah. That is the holy place of the Lord. And that's where men ought to worship. But David here is expressing just that inner desire to be where God is. And he asks the question, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? And as that temple was standing there, it was considered a very holy place. And it wasn't just anybody that went up there. There were many uh, traditions and rituals that they went through. There was a lot of washing and cleansing. And we saw evidence of that as we looked at some of the ruins surrounding the Temple Mount. One of the things that surprised me was the number of what they called ritual baths or, or a place where they would cleanse themselves as they came up to the temple. People who came to visit the temple came from a great distance, traveled many miles oftentimes in their annual feasts and so on. And so there were scores of places where you could cleanse yourself. And it was usually a chamber out of the rock. It might have been about 10 feet long and 5 feet wide. And I'm not sure how deep the water would have been, but there were steps going down. Kind of a wide 
stairway and steps going down into this uh, cistern of water, this little pool. And these wide steps had a, a little division right down the center. And as it's explained, what that meant is that you went down on one side, cleansed yourself, and came up on the other side. That was the side which was where the purified ones went. But the whole thought was that you cleanse yourself before you go up to worship in the holy hill or to stand in the holy place. You cleanse yourself. And then David says here, uh, in answer to his question, who shall ascend? He said, he that hath clean hands. Well, that would be easy to do and visibly seen by others is that you went down, you cleansed your hands, you came up purified, and you went up to the holy place. But he says also that a pure heart is needed. Now, you can't purify your heart in the waters that you use to cleanse your hands because the heart is inward. It can't be done by some uh, external process like you would for cleansing your hands, your feet, and so on. So even here in the Old Testament where it was acknowledged that there are specific places to go and worship, this is where God is, this is where the, uh, this is where you go to seek God. Because this is where God is. And you need to go through some processes to make yourself ready to meet God or to see God, to go where God is. That was the whole concept that this lady had that Jesus was speaking to, that there are certain places where we should go to worship. And... David addressed that, asking the question, who is it that would be qualified to go up there, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. So these are the people that came. They went through the ritual purifications. And we know as we read the account there that there was a... It would have been possible for a person to ritually cleanse themselves and be allowed to go up to the temple... And nobody could see or particularly check whether their heart was actually clean. But David made it very plain that this is what is required of the Lord. Now there's a clear parallel for us today in that if we come to God, you know, there can be outward signs of us drawing nigh to God. Those are all fine and good, but there has to be an inward purification 
if we have hope of eternal life. I'd like to look at several passages here in the New Testament. We read the first one here in 2 Thessalonians 2. I'd like for us to turn now to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. That very familiar passage. 1 John, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, explaining to him what is required to enter into the kingdom. And he said this, verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so there Jesus clearly spoke of that process or reality that in Christ there is eternal life. And it is only in him that whosoever believeth in him, the only begotten Son of God, would have everlasting life. Well, if we turn over to John chapter 4. And verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believeth, believe me, the hour is coming when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit And in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we don't have to go to a particular location as they would have in the Old Covenant to truly seek after God. We can worship in spirit and in truth. It can be done at any place where a heart draws nigh to God and where there is a faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus. And in drawing nigh to God and receiving that hope of eternal life, we can worship in spirit and in truth. Let's turn to another passage in Titus. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. 
but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So in hope of eternal life, in turning over to chapter 3, verse 7, he says that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. Let's turn now to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter 1, verse 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There he speaks of it as an everlasting kingdom and an abundant entrance into it. Now let's turn over to John, uh, I'm sorry, the, the epistle of John. First John, chapter 2. First John 2, verse 24 and 25. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Notice there the continuing in the Son. If ye continue in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. And one more back in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And here Jesus in his prayer to the Father... His prayer for his disciples, we'll read in verse 2 and 3, it says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, let's turn back to the first passage that I read in 2 Thessalonians.
chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Let's just consider some of the specific things that are mentioned here. He, he packs a lot into these verses. But he says here, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us. Well, we saw that in Jesus' words in John chapter 3, that God so loved the world. And so here Paul is Reminding the Thessalonians that our Lord Jesus Christ and God, even our Father, which hath loved us. It is the love of God that has given us this promise of eternal life. And then it says, and hath given us everlasting consolation. Now that word consolation has to do with comfort. He uses the term comfort in verse 17. It's a related uh, word. It is also related to the Holy Spirit, which is called the Comforter. He is the one who brings to remembrance all things that Christ taught. He's the one who guides us in truth. And he is called the Comforter, the one who brings this consolation. Consolation uh, has to do not just with making us feel comfortable. Okay, It has to do with a, a whole range of things such as giving us admonition, giving us instruction, giving us assurance that... Persuasion, that settled uh, understanding, and, and we use that term in, as assurance of salvation. There is a witness in the heart that we are right with God. And God gives that. This is part of the consolation that comes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convinces us of what is true and right. And he exhorts us. And so this word consolation embodies all of these aspects. But here he calls it everlasting consolation. And this is a hope then, this assurance that's given to us, this admonition, this instruction, this... Uh, direction and guide for life is an everlasting consolation. It is an everlasting hope. It is everlasting life that has been promised to us. And God speaks that to our heart, to our conscience, and through his word. And then he goes on to say, and good hope. Good hope. Well, what is this hope? It's this hope of eternal life. It is a hope that, that says that no matter what I'm facing here, 
I am in God. I am in Christ. I have hope. I have an assurance that if I continue with the Lord, if I am in Him, I shall receive everlasting consolation. I shall receive eternal life. I can partake of that now, and it will have its full reward at the end of this life and into the world to come. I have eternal life. I have everlasting consolation. I have a good hope. Or as it says in Peter, uh, a living hope. One that's real, it's alive. It has not just the promise of the world that is, but of the world that is to come. And then in verse 17, he continues using a different form of that word uh, and action. He says, comfort your hearts. Take this and allow it to bring a good, settled feeling to your heart. Comfort in the sense that the tribulations, the distresses that you are sure to see and face, and these believers faced it. In many of the epistles he talks about their persecutions or tribulations, but in that we have this good hope through grace And it comforts, it's an action here of comforting our hearts. Comfort your hearts. As we think of our uh, brother who has passed on, we can be comforted knowing that there is a good expectation because he had a testimony of loving the Lord Jesus and of having that assurance of faith that at the end of this life he would see God and enter into rest for his soul. So we can be comforted in that, but if we think back on our brother's life, we realize that he had that comfort. He had the assurance. He knew that regardless of how difficult physically life becomes, his spirit can grow stronger. He has hope of eternal life. He can enter into reward. Can you grasp that same comfort today? that settled assurance in your heart that things are right between you and God. You have entered into that life. You've become a partaker. You have that Holy Spirit within you that gives you that assurance and that comfort, that Holy Spirit of consolation that 
gives you comfort and guides you in life. And then Paul continues in verse 17 there, after speaking of comfort, he says, and establish you in every good word and work. And establish you. Now that would be an interesting study. If we go through the scriptures where it talks about being established or established and the importance of being established and it's likened unto a plant uh, maybe a tree a tree starts out very small and it's fragile it is uh, can be in one sense easily destroyed by small things because it's small it's not yet established. But once a tree gains some size and strength and maturity, it shrugs off some of those early dangers and is not nearly as susceptible to uh, the winds that blow. Yes, winds can take down big trees, that's, that's certainly true, but we expect once a tree is established that it, it can just shrug off a lot of those things that would have early derailed it. Well, the same thing is true in a spiritual life. Paul's desire for the Ephesians was that they might be in a church and the gifts are given to the church that all the saints be strengthened so that they are no more children tossed to and fro. You know, just like a young tree, so young children are more easily influenced or persuaded or, or as he says there, tossed about. They're first of this mind and then of that mind. But a Christian who matures in the faith should not be like that. He should be established. And it is this everlasting consolation that helps establish that and produce in us a a maturity that as he says here in every good word and work now there's many different ways that could be uh, manifested but what I'm trying to bring to us is just the picture of maturity, where as a mature tree that's no longer tossed about uh, with winds of doctrine, no more um, easily persuaded this way or that, but established in the truth and in the faith. I think our brother was a good example to us in that, established in the truth. He had come through a lot of experiences in life. He had seen a lot of, of errors and a lot of uh, difficulties. And he had many oppositions as, 
as we surely do and will in some measure or other. But he was able to have his heart established. Can we allow God to do that for us? Through the everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. This establishing of the heart and life is not a once and done thing. It's not something that happens in a moment of time. It's a process. We build upon what we have already learned and we seek to learn more and we get our feet and our hearts established. And these are the guiding things in our life, the consolation of everlasting life, the hope of eternal life. That's what... um, if you think of a of a young tree, oftentimes is is um, they put stakes in the ground and and tie the tree to it so that it uh, stays upright and and can weather those early storms and isn't just uh, bent over or pushed out of place. But after a few years or so of it being staked, those are removed and it's able to be established and stand on its own because it has learned or think of a tree learning but it has put down its roots it has stabilized it has come to a point where it doesn't need those restraints because it is established so it should be in our Christian life and these are the guiding things that help us Get that strength. And if I were to summarize uh, what our brother's testimony was, I would say it was simply that he strengthened himself in the hope of eternal life. You know, it's... In one sense, it's that simple. Not an easy life, but one that's established in the hope of eternal life. And I think I'll just conclude with those words.